Hey everyone, it's Cam. This episode is sponsored by Mark's Home Healthcare. If you have someone in your family that that is elderly or disabled and needs home healthcare services, you can't go wrong with Mark's. They have highly trained, professional, in-home caregivers available 24 hours a day. They also have convenient office locations in Queens, Bronx, Brooklyn, and Buffalo. I personally know people that have benefited from their services. They also accept most health insurances. Take a look at their website at markshhc.com to find out more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. So Jalil, I, I know I saw that on your Instagram page that you, you put out a lot of content about, uh, you know, so sort of like New Year's challenges and things like that. So as a psychologist, I wanted to get your thoughts on on New Year's resolutions and goals that start out in the new year. Like, are they are they beneficial for people's mental health? Um, I, I think yes and no. I don't think there is a like a, um, a sort of like polarized answer like you're in this camp or the other camp. I think some people tend to work better with having certain goals in mind and, you know, like, because the brain likes structure, likes recognition, likes familiarity, um, sees as a point of, like, reflecting. So it can work in that way. I think a lot of people reflect, like, okay, you know, when it comes to November and stuff, right, people start thinking about, if they're thinking about change, fitness, whatever, they just think, oh, I'll just leave you after Christmas now, I'll just put it in the new year, you know. It's like a mental mark in their heads they put down. Like, okay, as long as I get there, by the end of the year, I'll be okay. fine and I'll think about it then. But what happens is you see people start to put all these goals in one place, right? <laughs> so when it happens on the first day, second day, your brain can't cope with the, uh, I don't know, the intensity, if you like, the psychological stress that comes with it. So what, they, what, what it tends to do, it starts to, in order to the brain to protect itself, right? And to protect you, it starts to make other plans, starts to, you know, procrastinate, you know, because it's trying to relieve that pressure. So your your intentions might be good, like you might want to work on your goal setting and you want to do this thing, you know, you want to set these resolutions, and I'm pretty sure 100% that you want to do it, but it's about basically like a, a battle between the mind and the body in that sense. Um, brain can't handle too much information and organizing it very quickly for you sense if it if it if it doesn't then you you would destruct so it's about i don't know it's, it's also due to the evolution in that sense it's surviving mm. when we you know it's like that was the um fight or fight sort of um moment that they have so is it yes or no i don't I, is it is it helpful is it not helpful i don't know i think it depends on how the individual is how the environment is yeah um, I don't have to answer your question. Yeah, what, what are you? Well, what sort of person are you? Are you a person that likes to have, you know, specific goals uh, laid out in the beginning of the year? The, yeah, you see the one that you mentioned on Instagram. Yeah, the Instagram one was basically I, I did it back in in September. It was the PhD student challenge. Thirty tasks, thirty days. It was already mapped out for me. I belong to a community. 
I felt included. I felt, okay, I could take part in some of the days, you know, in that sense. Yeah. Like I don't have to do all 30 days. And then this challenge then repeated in, in December. And then there was another one that came in January. So am I, am I a person who like, who likes goals and I got, I think, I think over 30 days, it's much more achievable and to have a small realistic goal rather than having a yearly goal. Uh, it's good to have a yearly goal, something you want to do in the year. But I think having a daily goal is far more easy to achieve and having just one goal. So over the 30 days, it's just one goal or one thing you have to do, one, one challenge. So it's like, and it's not about you have to do something. It's like, what are you doing at the moment? Okay. So it's bringing the subconscious, if you like, into the conscience and say, okay, this is the book I'm reading. This is where I'm going for my walk. This is my well-being space. This is my whatever the challenge is in that sense. And it's to share. When you share, I think what happens is you're, you start to be self, become self-motivated mm. to say, mm, could I be reading this book? Could I be reading this chapter? Or could I be going for that walk? You know? So I think that for me, the participating in goals, it's not any, I think having like, you know, big goals, I don't even I have life goals, uh, yearly goals and monthly goals and, you know, don't know if I have weekly, uh, weekly goals, but daily goals is just to put something positive out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I have to-do lists. I go back and forth. You know, there are times, of, I think, in the, within uh, the year where I'm, like, really into my to-do list. I want to make sure I get everything checked off. And then other times, I feel like it actually affects me negatively because I'm like, damn, I have all this stuff to do and I haven't done. So I feel like it goes <laughs> yeah. back and forth. So, and that's just me, and I don't know how everyone's like that. So I was, I wanted, I was curious about that. So you're an, you're an actual psychologist. You have, you're done with your PhD, right? People ask me that question, right? And it's an interesting answer. I suppose in a way I am. I haven't got my documentation gotcha. through yet. I've been training for a very long time now. You know, this, I started my PhD in 2013. Okay. So this is 2021. It's almost eight years ago. Hopefully I'll okay. I've handed in my thesis um, last final copy, passed my exam last year. And it's, it's, it's a very weird time in terms of the transition because people can assume you're qualified and you can, even the examiner said you are qualified in that sense, but just wait for the paperwork to come through. So this transitioning between passing the exam, the PhD exam, the doctorate exam, till the paperwork comes through, through the email comes through, confirmation, um, there's a bit of administration to go through in that sense. Okay, okay. Um, uh, and the psychologist, uh, I, should, I should say, I'm a psychologist in training. That's the official title. But yeah, I've gotcha. been a psychologist in training since 2014. Okay. And what's the difference between psychology and psychiatry? So I think that's something I always get confused about. So what's the difference between a psychologist versus a, a psychiatrist? The best way, the, sim- the most simplest way to explain it is uh, uh, medicine, tablets, not tablets. Psychiatry, tablets. And psychology, no tablets. So when you're giving therapy, mm. one, you have a medical license to give tablets. One, there's no, the medical tablet thing is not in our sort of, we, we, don't, we don't have that in psychology. Mm. So psychiatrists are basically medical doctors with a specialism in um, psychology, if you like. But they okay. are medical doctors in that sense. Okay. Um, psychologists are the other side, which is all about non-medicinal. Um, they might support people who have got medication and stuff, but they will not have the license to. I mean, that's the best way to explain to someone 
who wants to understand the main difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Um, psychiatrist is someone who treats someone. Psychologist is someone who actually helps or explains something why something's happened. Okay. So we're interested in in why we behave the way we do. Um, psychology is concerned with um, the scientific explanation of like human and behavior, human behavior. Where I think uh, where psychiatry is more to do with okay, they're licensed doctors to give medication with people who've got mental health conditions. What what made you interested in psychology? Well, I mean, that's a, I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this uh, last night. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, okay, well, it's a question that normally that does it, it, it sits close to home in that sense. It's not like um, it was a career choice in terms of a good job and all that stuff. You know, it was more like okay, you know, growing up um, around the community um, in where I live and in in the family home, there were a lot of like it was actually. Um, lot to do things with uh, things with like gin, gin possession, um, and how, you know, people believed they were possessed in that sense. Um, people thought like members of my family were possessed. Yeah. Um, and so we did a lot of interventions, you know, as a kid and stuff, you know, we, we did, we got, got and, I, and I witnessed a lot of stuff, like all the treatments, all the interventions, nothing was working, right? And I thought to myself, like, okay, you know, we're spending a lot of time and effort money here. I don't really care about the, I don't really care about the, you know, how we do it. We want the answer. We want the relief. We want the solution. We want, <laughs> we want to be at peace yeah, and that kind of thing, right? And so um, I started to look at alternative explanations of, okay, what, what else could it be? And then I think I watched a, um, a film, um, Exorcism of Emily Rose. And I think that for me, that was the turning point because this film was about, um, science and spirituality and the core and the best and true story and the whole effect of telling me like actually there's people out there in the world who do can marry the two like you know faith and science and you know people can explain it. and there was other psychologists were coming and explaining it from around the world about what was happening and i just became more and more interested in like, okay if i go down this path first of all i need to see i want to help people that's my main thing so if i understand the problem i can help them if you know what i mean so I did like um, a part-time counselling course, access course, um, part-time, you know, after, with, after, my, um, after work and stuff over a period. I wrote a journal um, at the end of the course, counselling. And then my, the tutor had to, you know, give feedback on it. And he looked at the, uh, the, 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 the journal, the, 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 the journal we had to do over a number of few months. And he, he looked at my content and he said to me, well, have you thought about career in psychology? You seem to have really interest. So I think there was a few turning points why I got into psychology, like my experience, um, part of that film, confirmation, and maybe that tutor who looked at my journal. So like three or four things. And then I basically started looking into psychology degree, like, okay, what do I need to enroll onto psychology program? That's how I got into psychology and mental health and that. You must enjoy it to be able to, to um, go through <laughs> such a long process of uh, edu- you know, being educated in it. What, did you do other things while you were going to school for it? Or um, was that your full-time thing? But I was, but I, um, you know, being someone, <clears throat> you know, quite to look after the family's finances, um, I had to work. Um, I don't get me wrong, I, I, I managed the finances, so there was funding for the, for the fees. 
Um, I was taking a job. I was doing, applying, for, you know, whatever support was available. And I think when you're going through, you know, as as a carer, you know, basically, you know, like there will be there will be um, support available. You just you know how to do it in that sense. So I was managing different things. So I was working part time. Working in the bank, actually. Oh, which bank? I bank. Oh, um, I was working for NatWest. Um, okay. And I, I, I left basically full time work um, to go to uni. But I kept my job in the, in the bank, go part time. And I managed to find a way to, between my employer and my studies, to do it in that sense. Um, so I was working and studying over the course of the years. I'm always interested in that people um, that, you know, they, they have a passion and, but there's also that financial need, so they continue to latch onto this, you know, uh, a job that pays the bills. But then they start their uh, side side project on the side just to kind of yeah. um, for men- their own mental health, right? Um, you know, kind of like what I'm doing, you know, with with Boney and some other things. But uh, what what's um what's it's, you know when you talked about the gin thing, and you actually said you can marry the two. So I found that interesting. What? How can you actually, how can you marry the two? Because you have one side that basically says that it's, you know, you're possessed, but you know, I'm a, you're, you're, and you're studied this. So you know that there's, uh, there's, there's a logical explanation for someone acting a certain way. So how, how do you marry the two? Um, you know, if you asked me like 15, 14 years ago when I first died, I, I would have not had the confidence to say that, right? I think I, I had it in my mind, but I didn't, I wouldn't say it publicly. I wouldn't say it out loud. But now post-doc, post, you know, psychologist almost there and, and seen the stuff that I've seen and worked and, you know, all this stuff. Um, so basically people's, you know, um, experience, human experience is central to whatever problem they've got. Just because I think if it doesn't happen to, you can't see something happening, doesn't mean it's not true. Doesn't mean it's not real. It's real to the person. And that's what we say to the person. Look, if the person is seeing something, and if they believe in something, this is central to the to solve the problem, whatever they experience. It's when we start putting, putting labels and saying, that's not true, this is not right, all this stuff, we go down that road. We don't end up helping that person, and that person gets worse. So it's our formulation of thinking, which is all wrong in that sense, mm. because we have to understand the world they're in, you know, and that's with mental health conditions. Like, we have to understand it from their perspective, like, rather than from a third world perspective to say, oh, you know, that isn't right. Now, hang on, mate. You know, hang on. You know, hang on a second. The person who who needs the recovery, the peace, we have to see it the world from their point of view. And if we don't, we are doing a like disservice. It's just a, and plus, we're causing more harm because the long we're, we're having longer delays. Because in order for them to solve the problem, like imagine like you know to get treatment, <clears throat> you know, you have to sit with the person right in their world in that sense to say, look, I know this is real. This probably is real for you. It's just I can't see it in that sense. So I'm going to take your faith. I'm going to respect it. And I'm going to understand it from you. And I'm going to see if there's any science that I can use. Yeah? Because science is also in your faith too. Because it tells you to get help. It tells you to seek support and all of this stuff. Yeah, And, uh, and that's how we can connect to. Can we agree on that? And that's the reason why people can feel they can connect on that on that level. And then people are more likely to move forward and get help. I think what happens is, what traditionally used to happen is, um, see them as two separate entities, faith and science, gin and mental health condition. Like, well, 
we need to look at it from the spectrum. You know, um, I did this, um, we do these um, like sort of like sessions um, where we invite the public to come to these engagement events. And there was a, I think it was in South America, um, the documentary brought over called Crazy Wise. Crazy Wise was a documentary um, which basically talked how people could see um, people who had voices and, and saw things were seen as people, as wise people in their community. But they showed very little um, symptoms of what we have here, um, like mental health condition, like, um, you know, homelessness, um, yeah, um, anger, um, you know, depression, things like that. So they, because they were, because of the stigma, basically, the community saw them as people with wise men who can hear voices and, and stuff like that and is able to see them in a positive light. They didn't have them disrupting their way of life in that sense. Mm. I'm not saying that those people are saying what they're saying is right or wrong. I'm just saying that experience is real for them in that sense. And we should always um, uh, look at it from their perspective. People, people with mental health conditions or like people with gin possession and all that stuff, we tend to dismiss them. We have to understand this experience is whatever they're going through, whether we believe it or not, is real for them. I don't think they're going to be making it up, you know, because it's not a nice thing to go through. Yeah. You know, what what like, sort of responses have you gotten from the Bengali community about you have having an alternative explanation to some of these things? Um, it, it's interesting in, in because it's, I think, if I'm honest, which I think is a sad thing, which I don't think should be the case, I think they don't take you seriously if you don't do a PhD. Yeah, yeah, and it's sad because it's almost like, do I have to? Did I really? Did I really have to do this thing to get you to to pay attention? Imagine if I didn't do that and something else happened, right? We would still go through the same pains and all of this stuff because you have this thing, like you know, that you only take, uh, you you'll only listen with people with like you know status and stuff like that. I'm like, is this how narrow-minded we can be in that sense? I know it's quality control, um, but is this what it took in that sense? And I think to myself, like, I don't get me wrong, I, th- I think that there's, there's um, you know, through the engagement, they've been very open about it because you're able to argue with people's point of views in, in an intellectual, respectful way in that sense. So if they come up with evidence and science and you point to the, to the you know, example and say, well, look, case study one, case study two, here's the, here's the evidence here, here's that example, um, and able to explain it. Or people tend to reduce the anxieties, oh, okay. And they feel more connected to it. Like, okay, my faith isn't all bad or something I should stay away from, you know. Uh, it's a lot to do with socioeconomics, education, basically, you know. We, we, you know, we, we take the education from our, you know, from ancestors, right, from our fathers, right? So we're going on by their knowledge. So it's not really our fault all the time. So I get it in a sense, like, they're only being told what they did. They didn't have much, you know, yeah. and, and yeah, money and, yeah. Um, there, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's one of my favorite podcasts, the Freakonomics podcast, uh, Freakonomics Radio. They talk about there's this idea that you know a lot of times it's more dangerous to know a little bit about something than knowing nothing, nothing about that something. So they, they, you know they talk about this all the time, and so I think that yeah. I think that's maybe like some of the concerns about people in the Bengali community because a lot of people just know a lot of things. Like you know we, we're we're hesitant to take. Or a lot of people, you know, read an article and they're an expert. So, you know, they read an article about mental health and they're an expert all of a sudden. So, so I guess I kind of see why people would want 
you know, that sort of affirmation of a PhD to listen to that person for additional advice. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I think there's <clears throat> there's a there's a hierarchy. Um, you know, we go on by class system, and we have the class system that you know we think that we're. It's almost like um, we are, um, you know, we're higher than them, we're lower than them. We don't like to admit it, but that's what mm. we do. Um, subconsciously or consciously sometimes, you know, you see all sorts of stuff. But yeah. Um, yeah. I think, and when we do that, I think um, the, the um, inter- intergenerational sort of like trauma, they've probably been exposed to other stuff. They don't want to be taking advice from someone else. I mean, I've, I mean, the worst, the worst case scenarios I've seen is people financially being exploited. By these people um, who are giving money to, for treatment, and these treatments are, you know, things are, we're talking about tens of twenty thousands pounds here. Yeah? I know you got dollars over there, but we have, we've got pounds over here. Um, and so they're being they're being like um, gaslit and you know exploited in this way to say, look, you know, we'll give you give us twenty thousand pounds, but we're gonna give you a bit of like you know prayer and stuff like that. So the implications are huge in that sense. Um, and a lot of Bengalis, I think I do get it in that sense. Like if I didn't do the PhD, they would not sit up and listen in that sense. Um, and there's also like, um, if we're thinking about faith leaders, right? <clears throat> you're able to sit with, you know, because you're on that scholar sort of like um, level, um, peer to peer, to say, you know, let's look at that verse again, please. You know, repeat, you know, let explain, please. Because <laughs> you have the skills to, to basically um, to to not question them, but to really get them to explain stuff. Yeah, um, and I think that's what a PhD does. I think it helps, gives you the confidence and the yeah. skills to say, look, you know, okay, look, you know, I know Imam so and so said this, but can we go back to page thirty-seven? I want you to explain between line one and line two. There was a bit of a discrepancy there, and then that because what it does, and and it's, and, 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 a, and a good Imam, yeah, he, he would love that. He would like, yeah, I want to explain. I absolutely agree with you. I, I, the best conversations I've had with people that are quote unquote religious is, is that conversation where we have a disagreement and they're able to explain it. And the, you know, the confident ones, the knowledgeable ones, can explain things in a very practical way. I've had this conversation about interest. You know, I don't know if uh, this is a concept you know, in the UK, but interest is considered yeah. haram. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've always, yeah. I've always, I, I'm in banking as well, and. I, and and obviously there's egregious interest and there's a lot of things wrong with that. Outside of religion, there's a lot of things wrong with that. But there's a lot of ways how interest interest actually makes things fair. I mean, just mathematically, interest actually a lot of ways makes things fair. And without interest, it would be unfair. So I think there's a lot of and this is the conversations I've had with some religious people and and they've actually broken down uh, some of the again some of the really knowledgeable uh, imams have broken down why. The concepts within interest that can make it haram. Mm-hmm. No, not the not, not and, and there's you know uh, the way you know you know charging somebody eighteen percent and taking their house if they can't pay the mortgage. Those are things that are haram, but just interest general can't be haram. But again, anyway, that's the conversation that uh, the, that's the kind of conversation I like having with you know imams where they like you said you can come to some sort of, some sort of a middle ground, but they also have that confidence in in the text in the text itself. To understand, um, you know, what the text, what the, the the what do they say in law? It's the it's not the actually what is written down. It's the um, it's the it's the intent of the text. Like it's the actual it's the intent, not exactly what it says word for word, but what's the intent of you know surah whatever 
you know, not exactly what it says, like that, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's, I think that sort of, you know, conversation is helpful with, you know, with religious people. You know, when I was in talking about Jains, I, I actually, I, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, but I was, uh, when I was about, I think, five years old, I was in the Gram in Bangladesh. Um, and uh, I remember this, and I confirmed it with my parents too that this happened. I, I woke up one time, like in the middle of the night, and I just started saying some gibberish, like, crazy. I don't know what I was, I forget exactly what I was saying, but I was saying some something where I remember everybody in our little village came around, like in the middle of the night, uh, came to my the room just to because to, to, they were concerned. And yeah. I remember, um, and then at one point they called the, he wasn't an imam, but the person that was sort of like religious in the, in the little, in a little village, he came and he talked to me for like a good 10 minutes. And then I snapped out of it. Right. And everybody said, so, you know, and, you know, obviously everybody thought I was, I was, uh, had a gin, right. But, you know, I like, to me, it sounded like maybe just, you know, he, talked to me for 10 minutes in a very calm manner, like asked me all these questions and sort of like put me in this, use sort of a lot of these psychological techniques to kind of get me to focus and, and snap out of it. I don't know what it was, but, or maybe it was a gin, but I'm just saying like, it, you know, it's, it was just an interesting, uh, it's experience, interesting experience but <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it, it didn't, it, you can, I guess, I guess, you know, maybe you're right because at that time it was religious, I mean, I, I I followed my parents' religion, so it was a part of me. Like the idea of a jinn was part of me. So this goes back to what you were saying that it's important, and you have to acknowledge it because it is a part of me. So yeah, I thought I would share that. So I thought it was, uh, you know, it, it does justify. It does, it does, you know, speak to what you were saying about marrying the two. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's what we 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 get all the time. And thank you for sharing. I think there's, I think I think a lot of people experience it, but a lot of people don't want to say it because. They know they're going to be judged, you know, when they see, when they have an experience, yeah, when they have an experience with the gin. I think it's more common than we think it is, um, because but people don't want to say it because, you know, and and there's nothing wrong with them, like you mean, and it doesn't affect their way of life. It hasn't done anything to them or anything like that. Um, so when you have the proportion of gins, right, of people reporting things like gins and stuff, people don't report those experiences because they fear of judgment. So what happens? The ones that extreme cases come out, and then. Then we have a perception about gin in that sense to say it's the problems over there, not with us. In that sense, like, do you mean those people are possessed? Like actually, well, everybody's having you know experiences with this thing, but people, uh, but most of the people are not saying anything about it in the public, and the conversation is dominated by um, people who have the extreme ones because they can't hide it in that sense. So it starts to can you see it starts to um, to ch- uh, dominate. What is the jinn in that sense? So jinn is only perceived, only something really, really, you know, uh, intense and you're possessed and all of this stuff in it. But because the other people are not reporting it, the, the data basically, if you like, the data is influencing the per- perception. I can see why people don't want to talk about it because that's fine because you don't open those doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, of course, of course. But oh, well. it can see about the stigma and stuff. That, that's why people, mental health people are crazy. In, in in Bengalis, yeah. Oh yeah, That's it's how- always it's it's a very yeah. it's a very um, extreme. You're either yeah. crazy or you're you're normal. There's not there's nothing in the middle. Yeah, um, and I think yeah. Go ahead. No, I just I, 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 and I think basically I was just saying that one of the tragedies is we because of our own um, what's the word you know insecurities, our own fear of judgment. 
we don't report our experiences because of stigma and the way we're going to be judged, but we're happy subconsciously to allow people to suffer, you know, in, in another way. But if we basically were open about it, if we talked about it, we, we tried to talk uh, things a bit more like in a very, in a healthy way, then those people who've got severe mental health conditions who can't, who don't have the ability to defend themselves because they don't have the capabilities, you know, it's like, you know, if you have a physical disability, you know, you have a mental health problem, um, we, we let them suffer so we can survive in that sense. <laughs> can you see? And I think that's, that's quite a sad thing in that sense. I'm like, that's the reason why, you know, I got involved in this work. I'm like, okay, how do we change some of the conversation? How do we change the behaviours? Um, it's yeah. a lot of work. You know, it's not going to be done in my lifetime. But um, how, How's your Bangla, by the way? Uh, it's not great. <laughs> it's, uh, I ask because, um, you know, one of the issues I think older yeah. Bengalis have is, well, you know, my, my parents don't speak English that well. I mean, they get by, but they couldn't have a conversation with a psychologist to explain how they feel in English. So I'm curious, you know, we were just talking about in the neighborhood, the, the part of uh, the UK where you live is about 25,000 Bengalis. Is there a, a, an option for them to speak to someone that speaks in, you know, a psychologist uh, that speaks in Bangla? Or could you fill that void? I mean, for, for my, my Bengali, yeah, <clears throat> is because of like, you know, my, my, uh, my parents, um, you know, I've got mental problems. Um, so our language, our syntax is all medical based. Do you want to go to hospital? Yeah. We need to go to doctors. Mm. Yeah. There is no, so for me, the, the building of language between me and my family, there wasn't much, you know, dialect, you know, development in that sense, noticing over years. Even though I went to Bangla school, went to Bangla school uh, back in the day, like, you know, when I was a child, after Arabic school, went to Bangla school, yeah? And so it became a transactional relationship because of, you know, if, 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 there, are, if there were mental health problems, it, there's no, what's the word? Like, you know, there's not that sort of like social development, everything's rosy and stuff like that, right? It became yes and no. Um, do you want to eat rice? You know, do you, it, it became a very functional, transactional relationship. So the dialect, when people ask me about the Bengali dialect, like, yeah. Um, I, I think um, in terms of like, there is a lot of, there is a lot of like, um, I think um, older generation, so talking about 50 plus, yeah, that sort of things, um, 60 plus. The dialect between my uh, people under 20, 25 even, it's starting to, I think we're the last, I'm the last, one of the last generations for the, for the Bengali dialect to, to sort of like develop. But I should say there is an appetite of like not forgetting the mother. Yeah, I love it. Mother yeah. tongue. Because you know what it is? <clears throat> it, it, it's that thing, isn't it? it? If you speak several languages at a young age, your IQ is is high, of course. So and you're also able to do. You're able to retain it younger. As it's so much more difficult to learn a language when you're older. But there is a thing called bilingual brain that should, I should mention. Bilingual brain. So basically, what happens is you interpret one information in one language, reinterpret it, and understand it a different way. So I noticed that when I write in English, PhD level, right, the thing is not there. It's not proper English, even though I'm at that level. Because mm. the Bengaliness is coming out in the in the in the text, 
it was only another person picked it up. One of my um, <clears throat> professors picked it up. He goes, oh, there might be nothing wrong with your writing. When, when, when we're saying to you, proofread, proofread, does, does make sense. You could have a bilingual brain. So, that's, a, that's an actual <clears throat> medical concept. Yeah, um, I, I didn't know. Um, I only found out in the last probably 18 months. Um, someone said like, oh, you might have a bilingual brain. You, I go, what's bilingual brain? And she said, she, 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 she done her PhD in communication and language. And she said, it's when you interpret one uh, language um, but you write in another, but your mind is in the other language because it's your upbringing that you, or your family environment that's, that's p- pushing through. Oh, wow. So thinking in your writing is not that, yeah. Because um, some of the sentences I look back, ah, oh, yeah, that's not. So what do we mean by Bengali? Do we mean, you know, syntax? You know, uh, you know, the tongue sort of like, you know, movements. Do we mean thinking? <laughs> mm. um, it, it's a fascinating conversation. It's a, it's a great question in that sense. What's I mean, so, I'm looking at, yeah. so I think syntax is interesting because you always find, I, I, I've noticed that, I've actually always thought about this a lot. I, I've, I've noticed in, in, in financial services, Indians do very well despite having an accent. Um, so... I don't know how it's came the U- in the in the UK, but in the US, Indians have done really well. You know, senior folks at banks, financial service companies, just doing really well. You don't see that in, in uh, you don't see that too many Bengalis uh, at senior levels. Uh, but I also find that Indians, despite having uh, their accent, are more confident, regardless of having an accent. Where I feel like older Bengalis are not as confident. And I feel like, and I think a lot of that has to do with the syntax, because the way Indians speak, is their syntax is actually a lot more similar to, I don't know how, why, how, but similar to like a proper English uh, or American English uh, sentence structure, whereas a Bengali sentence structure is very different. Or, or maybe Indians just are able to recognize it and, 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 and adapt. Like as an example, like I, I think I've talked about this in numerous podcasts, but you know, a Bengali person in Bangla, they say, um, if they want to say, "Ami, uh, ami that means I, I, I gave an exam. Like the translate, I gave an exam. But in English, you wouldn't say I gave an exam, mm. right? You would say I, I, I take an exam. Now, if you um, so like in, in in English, you know, there's so many situations. If you were in English, you were going to say I gave an exam. That actually sounds like you were the proctor, that you were the teacher, that you were giving the exam. And there's so many situations like yeah. uh, there's so many examples like that where. And I feel like Bengalis have a tougher time adapting to like the English, American English anyway, that uh, syntax. Um, and there, it makes them less confident. Because I know a lot of Bengali people here that are really, really smart. Uh, and they, that I feel like that little bit of an accent uh, is, is, a, is a wall. Whereas Indians are able to bypass that wall. I find it very, I find it very, very fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm definitely speaking to like a a loss or linguistic, um, you know, you would really find, I'm sure, that's a conversation that will explain it in much more detail than I can. But I think inside the construct of the brain, the, you know, the neural pathways and the way we have been constructed over time through our genes um, and the way we communicate, so like sentence structure, you know, if, if we say, I mean, I, I, I am in love with you, you know, it's not the same as it would be in Bengali. Like, it oh, would yeah. be all sorts of like, you know, different Very directions. Different. <laughs> and I think in, in, in that sense, see, if that's happening in that one simple, you know, um, sentence, oh, I'm sure it's not simple for a lot of people out there. I'm sure it's a powerful sentence. 
But if it's a simple sentence like that, I'm in love with you in Bengali, that would come out with all sorts of connotations. Weird. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very weird. Yeah. Wow, that's I, the wiring. That's that's the neural pathways all, all wired up in a different way. So when we go to write it, interpret mm. it on paper, it comes out without even our that's our subconscious doing our, our thinking for us. Wow. Did you grow up did, were you born in the UK or were you born in Bangladesh? And I bought yeah, born in the UK. Uh, um we uh, yeah, we're born born in Lewin actually. Um oh, okay, cool. So not, well, yeah. So I, so I probably have what you just described because I was born in Bangladesh and I I learned Bangla first. Mm. And uh actually I probably learned Bangla and then Arabic and then English. So maybe I have a trilingual brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, it could be, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's that's very interesting. But now I do think, uh, but I, I, you know, people ask you like, what you think in? What do you? Th- I, I still think I think in English, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say like, okay, you know, uh, my parents were from Bangladesh. They came seventies, yeah. Um, so our family home is Bengali. It is Bengali, but it would be because you know the first language was Bengali, by the way. You know, then the second language was English because. We went to English. We were four years old, five years going to school, like, oh, ABC, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> plus yeah. this um, And then, can you see? And then the, in that way, like, you're already wired up because I think your, your shaping of your, you know, is not to five, basically, they say. That's the shaping of a human mind, you know, between up, maybe up to the age of six, they say. Mm. So that, that for a child, if you can really put something into them at that age, they're going to be wired up in that way later on, in that sense. Gotcha. So if your family was Bengali, then you had Arabic, then English. Yeah, you could you could be yeah you could be thinking all sorts in that sense, um, you know, in different ways in that sense, um, and that's why when you go to write stuff, when you communicate, people think like, oh, what you're saying in that sense, like there's nothing wrong with you. It's just the way your brain has been wired up in that sense. Mm. Hey, so I, so I noticed this really cool logo in the back. Minds matter. So that's your that's your other. Um... Oh yeah, organization, right? So, tell yeah. us about my, what minds, our minds matter, uh, what you're doing. Oh, so that is basically a mental health uh, charity that um, we founded a few years ago, back in 2014, I think. Um, it's essentially providing mental health education to communities, and it's also working with services how to make their services more adaptable to meet the needs of the communities. Um, it's specific, specific, should not Pacific, specific, specific, you know, with an S, yeah, specific. As my niece keeps pointing out, you know, in that sense, maybe that's a bilingual brain coming out, yeah. know. you know. Um, it, it's basically for faith communities, and we basically look at um, how faith communities recognize mental health um, awareness and how do they encourage people to look after their. Um, mental well-being through faith practices. So it could be meditation, it could be praying, it could be uh, congregating, it could be, you know, reading a verse, whether it's the Bible or the Torah, <laughs> wherever they, what, what scripture they, they, they make sense of the world, um, connect with others, being active, seeking help. So we look at, we, our, our uh, goal is um, to look at it from a, a faith perspective and how, Faith communities can be supported through their own communities to promote mental health well-being, and also services how they can use, how they can you know put faith in their services to help the pe- people basically come into their service. 
Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Now, um, do you plan on, um, after you have your PhD designation attained, do you plan on starting your own uh, practice? I, I, I thought about this. I mean, the, the organization that we started, charity that we started, I thought, okay, after the stuff like that, I might want to open my own clinic and all that stuff. And then this thing came along and I think it serves a purpose. I think what I'll be doing is I... I think I'm, I'm teaching. I'll be I'll be teaching. Okay. Um, so at the moment, I'm I am teaching um, uh, on a few units: psychology, mental health at universities. Um, there's about three universities that I teach at oh. um, on specific, yeah, specific um, universities. Uh, no, specific <laughs> units, I should say. Yeah, <laughs> it's on the bug me now. But yeah, I don't. So I don't teach a whole uh, like a course, but I teach on like um, certain units, certain okay. modules. Um, and I think I enjoy that. I'll be doing research. Um, I do some practice work. I do work in the prison service, oh. uh, working with clients. Yeah, that's an interesting experience. Oh, wow. Um, like, uh, mainly, mainly, mainly a lot to do with substance misuse, that thing. Um, you know, how do you break habits and stuff like that? And so I think as a psychologist or someone who's a PhD, for me, I, I'm not too sure about going in one direction. Uh, I think I would like to have different things that I'm doing a bit of this, a bit of that. Um, but I think teaching and lecturing is going to be the probably the stronger sort of like route for the next few years at least, you know, because then you reveal after, see how it's going and is this what you're enjoying it and making value. Okay. Um, and then running the charity on the side. Any any book recommendations for people that want uh, that's a good read about goal setting or um, or even another uh, you know book about mental health? Any any sort of recommendations that you can that you have for people? Um, I, th- I think well, I mean the one that I, that one that I found inspirational for me, uh, you know, like really made sense was making up the mind okay. um, by Colin. Frith, his name is, I think, Colin Frith. And it's how the brain creates the mental world. It, you okay. know, it's basically saying that the thing that is in our head, we have created this, 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 this perception about ourselves. It's being influenced in that sense. Is it nature? Is it nurture? And um, we don't know. The question we didn't <laughs> get to, but yeah. Yeah, no, um, this, this book is basically, is focused on um, like really breaking it down in simple terms. And I think it's about $9 or something or £10, whatever it is. Um, but it's a book that I recommend. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's lots of books out there, but I think that book for me was, I read it 12, 12 13 years ago. Um, and it's, it stayed with me in that sense. So, Okay, cool. Well, listen, uh, we, we've been talking for almost an hour. So it's just, uh, it's amazing how... Know, we can have how time flies, but also it's an interesting conversation. Um, and I feel like we can talk so much more. I'd love for you to come back on maybe and talk about the, the, the speaking with prisoners. That, that's, that's fascinating too. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we should arrange it. Yeah. But uh, it was great having you on. Um, I love talking to people in the UK. You guys just sound so much smarter with your accent. We sound like, I, oh, that's, this is related to your field. I, I read... So there was these studies about, so they found that so people with British accents sound more intelligent, but then people in the UK say that Americans sound more confident uh, with our accent. 
Yeah. So we're just bullshitting. So. We're just bullshitting, and and you guys are like, you guys are, uh, you know, you guys actually sound uh, coherent. I've never been to America, but you know, at least at least I know someone who's who's there now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's good. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're, I would love to meet up. I love London. London's one of my favorite places. If I could, I'd love to. One of the few places outside of New York I could live. London's definitely there. So I felt like it was very New Yorkish. But yeah, cool. Um, great having you on. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more more stuff from uh, Minds Matter, and uh, and ho- I hope you come back. Gotta be honest With diamonds and pearls Yeah, yeah Bengalis in New York All over the world uh, It's the bony show uh, Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs Where the bangles live From the slang we spit To the gangs we with It doesn't matter We the essence of the Bangladesh I say, hey, come on Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs Where the bangles live